every so often throughout the course of history, patriots rise up at a time of need for truth and freedom. These people are called disciples of liberty for their undying love of freedom. The call has been sounded. Will you answer that call or sit back and let freedom die away? Unifying patriots everywhere against the evil trying to destroy America's freedom. You're listening to the Disciples of Liberty Radio Show on the America Out Loud Network. Now here's your host, Tim Alders. Hey, once again, welcome to the Disciples of Liberty show. I'm Brian Hyde, filling in for Tim Alders here on the America Out Loud Network. So, uh, after after a fun-filled couple of days to think about uh, what matters most, I thought, you know, it would be fun to talk about Glowfest, the uh, insurrection that the FBI threw in Washington, D.C. Um, ostensibly, after warnings, there was going to be some kind of violence uh, from the right wing over the, the people who were imprisoned over January 6th and what happened then. I thought I'd start with some good news, though. So I, I will bring this up in the course. I know a lot of other people are talking about it. Um, I don't know that my take is going to add that much other than uh, it looks like there was uh, apparently uh, there was a rally that had more undercover cops, more informants, and I mean more obvious informants than actual protesters. And that's not a slight against the protesters. I think it's more of an indictment of how paranoid that federal government apparatus is becoming. And that's something we'll be wanting to keep an eye on. That's only one facet of what's going on, though. And and I want to start with the most important, most critical factor in all of these current events. That is you. Actually, it's you and me. How we as individuals might be able to, to make some kind of appreciable difference. Can, we can move that needle in the right direction. Because I think a lot of us right now are feeling pretty ground down, right? The last 19 months have not been very easy. The lockdowns, the constant battles over elections and COVID and staying afloat economically and masking or not masking, vaccine or no vaccine. A lot of crazy stuff has been going on. So if you're feeling like you are just not up to the task, it's probably understandable, actually. I mean, you've had a lot thrown at you. Frankly, mental health is is in terrible shape. I was actually reading an article, and it's a pretty studious article. It was a very scientifically done, medically conducted survey, seeing what has happened to mental health. And across the board, mental health outcomes are, are not looking good right now across America. I assume this is, this is safe to say in, in most uh, first world nations. The stress and strain psychologically is beating a lot of people down. But you know what you don't hear much about? This is really curious. We don't hear a lot about the good outcomes from all of those lockdowns. I mean, where are the positive things? I mean, it hasn't stopped the virus, clearly, right? Cases are at an all-time high, depending on, you know, where you are. If you're in Sweden, by the way, that's not the case. But then, then again, Sweden didn't lock down. They actually have something that looks a lot like herd immunity. But all of that heartache, all of the flexing of government muscle, we'll show you, we'll get in charge of this, this virus. 
We just have to control the people. Since they know they can't control a virus, they've got to control the people. And I'm going to add one little more, one, one slight layer of intrigue on that. I guess recently, frontline doctors released their COVID-19 protocols. In other words, they released, this is the regimen we would recommend. If you're going to treat it at home, like if you have mild symptoms, this is what we recommend you do. And they're talking about taking, you know, this supplement, uh, take this uh, quercetin, take vitamin C, take vitamin D. And, and there's a whole list of things. I won't go into all of it right now. If you have severe symptoms, then you need to take some ivermectin. You need to have erythromycin, azithromycin, rather. Uh, you know, I mean, they go through the whole list of different protocols and things to watch out for. But they're giving people good, solid information to act upon should they find themselves, you know, facing COVID. And, I, you know, I know this is anecdotal, so please don't take this as, uh, well, gee, somebody talked about it once, so it must be, you know, true everywhere. A good friend of mine who I would count as definitely not a skeptic when it comes to vaccines, as soon as they were available, he was one of the first people to go out and get them. And so he's, he's much more in line with, let's, let's try the vaccine, let's see how that works, was telling me about his brother coming down with COVID just a few weeks ago. And I believe his brother was unvaccinated, but uh, he came down with a clear case of COVID, tested positive, started showing symptoms, and a doctor prescribed him ivermectin. Now, I don't know the dosage, so again, this is, I know this is just anecdotal. But my friend called and said, hey, you want to hear something interesting? My brother called me the next day and said, I feel 99% better after taking that ivermectin. This is within 24 hours. And from there, his symptoms rapidly declined. I don't know what other things he may have done. You know, get plenty of rest, drink lots of fluids, that kind of thing. But here's the thing that, that is so revealing. If these things work, and I'm just offering that one anecdotal experience that it appears to, at least for some people it appears, India would say, well, this is how we stopped COVID in 97% of our population. Why would the American medical establishment the White House, the, I'm just going to say it, the, the, the Democratic Party, the apparatus, the media, why would they be so upset that these frontline doctors, doctors, mind you, not crackpots, but doctors, would publish these uh, COVID treatment protocols so that people who uh, contract COVID and decide, look, we're going we're gonna to fight this, would have all those different options you know, at their fingertips? I know it seems weird, right? Why would they fight that? Why would they want to prevent people from, from accessing the things that might actually work, that might actually save their lives? I don't have an answer other than, well, this must uh, you know, threaten their narrative in which, no, 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 we will tell you everything to do. We will tell you everything you have to know. You just have to believe the science. No, they would say, have faith in the science realizing or not realizing at that moment they've crossed over into religious territory. Could it just be they're outraged about this because this might in some way interfere with the exercise of power and control of others? I mean, I don't know for sure. That that makes the most sense to me as an explanation as well, of course. You know, this is this is taking power out of their hands and putting it back in your hands. Which to you and me would, would hopefully seem like a very good thing and a necessary thing. To them, that's, that's quite an affront. 
So just just an interesting prelude here. Let's talk about what's going on, though. Obviously, there are people who are standing up and fighting this battle, not content to roll over and just do what they're told. These are people who are worthy of being free. And in today's uh, Disciples of Liberty show, I want to talk about this. I want to ask and, and share some thoughts on the question, are you ready and willing to be free again? But before I go there, I first want to set the stage by pointing out that if you are, first of all, aware of what's going on, if you're not just blissfully or, you know, being carried along in ignorance with the current, not caring where it takes you and just feeling like, you know, it's totally out of your hands. But if you're one of those people paying attention and going, this doesn't, this doesn't feel right. None of this feels right. Here's a message that you need to hear. And it is the message that you are being tempered for tougher battles. Now, I know that sounds a little bit scary. Wait a minute. Tougher battles ahead? I know. I'm not real keen on the idea of, you know, it's going to get tougher from here. I think it probably is, though. But as you'll hear in this article by Alan Stevo, you are more than up to the challenge. So let's start with that. Alan Stevo says, I want you to look at every bit of adversity around you and say something to yourself. I want you to say that this is a time intended to make you stronger. This is a time intended to toughen you. This is a time intended to grow and learn and to hone your weapons and skills, to temper your blades, to train yourself as a truly formidable warrior. This is a time happening for you. Life is happening for you. This moment, the present, is a gift for you. Now he says, listen to me. I don't care what these know-it-alls say. This is not the last stand. This is not the last opportunity. But if we don't win at this juncture, things are sure to get so much worse. Now what he's talking about here is we need to beat back these mandates. We need to set these tyrants in order. We need to be on our knees asking the Almighty for wisdom and understanding. We need to be fighting the most meaningful fights around us every single day, likely fights that are very local to us and very small in number, fights that may be so local and personal that they seem to affect no one but us. Once you win a few of those fights, you often start to see how much impact the thing you called little or selfish really had as it rippled out, far beyond anything you might have imagined possible. Those most important ripples, though, are in your own life when you fight such battles. Now, Alan Stevo goes on to talk about how flu season is upon us. Every year, respiratory viruses are more prevalent, and more people die of respiratory virus-related illnesses at this time of year. And this year, just like last year, they won't call it flu. They'll call it something more scary. Just like every year, people will die. Anyone with a memory remembers knowing people who had the flu and died. Now, this is common of terminal cancer patients, late-stage organ, late organ failure patients, and a host of others seriously ill. Anyone with a memory remembers knowing people who had pneumonia and died. This is common of people who've broken their hips or other bones and are laid up, people who spend lots of time in bed, people who have been frail, people who are on in years. Everyone with a memory remembers having a cold that totally floored them, maybe for a week or two or even three. And this has happened even to the healthiest among us. It has happened to everyone we know. So his point is, if you have a memory, 
than the biological consequences of what's been taking place since the Ides of March 2020 are nothing new. They are the same, or at least relatively the same. Now, Alan Stevo asks, is it a bioweapon from Wuhan? And he answers, I don't know. Do illegal immigrants carry it with them? I don't know. He says, I personally do not believe too much of what I do not see with my own eyes at this point. And those two narratives require me to believe that the two biggest liars on the earth, they require me to believe the two biggest liars on the earth, namely the U.S. government and the Chinese Communist Party. Alan Stevo says, these narratives do not change my prior priority of living my daily life more freely and helping other lions to do the same. So it might be nice to have the answers to those questions. Is it a bioweapon? Do illegal immigrants carry it? But they're largely distractions, at least in Alan Stevo's life. He says, what I know is that every year, many people get sick and die. And it's usually about 1% of the population that dies annually. Now, about that many appear to have died last year, if we trust the data from the lying CDC. What's different since the March, since the Ides of March 2020, however, is the human response to this. And this is the important part. Alan Stevo says, today we stand at a pivotal moment in history. And you can bemoan the situation or embrace it. If you be a lion, he says, I need you to embrace it. To engage with unceasing focus in the most freedom-generating, immediately effective behaviors you can be engaged in. And he says, then I want you to focus on self-improvement after you're done. Almost important of a step is the actual act itself. He says, go home afterwards, take out a piece of paper, divide the paper into three equal segments with a pen. One segment is right, the next one is wrong, and the last, next time. Now he says, take five minutes and ask yourself, what did I do right? Then what did I do wrong? And then what could I do better next time? And jot down those answers. But he says, dig deep. Put them to paper. It works better that way if you do. Then do better next time. Your mistakes the first time you deal with them are no big deal. Fail to learn from them, though, and they become a big deal. So these five minutes are very useful for identifying them rather than repeating them. Now, there are many collectivists that have not escaped that mindset, yet who gladly have been converted to freedom. And they're seeking to bring you under their umbrella and create massive organized movements. And there is something to be said for that. There are far better economies of scale, less wasted effort. That's an advantage. But, he says, that's not enough of an advantage, though. The real advantage is had by many, many small, disparate, relatively disconnected groups of people and many, many more individuals, each doing their own thing, living life as freely as possible, fighting tyrants in their own lives and spreading freedom in their own spheres of influence. Now, he says, I agree, that's disorganized. It's frustrating for those who are used to a corporate corporate organizational chart, to those used to following top-down orders. There are poor economies of scale, and accordingly, there's a massive amount of resources that are wasted, But in exchange, there is spontaneous order. There's entrepreneurial ingenuity. There's constant A-B testing. There's massive competition for those with the best approaches. And there is clearly almost unlimited redundancy. So here's the good news. You know what that means? 
That means the enemy can't chop the head off the beast of freedom. There is no head. There is no mass movement. There are thousands, maybe millions in each state increasingly living life that way. That is the change that matters. The change that happens in individual lives. And Alan Stevo says, I will trade that for a mass movement any day. In fact, it's what I've been working on for 18 months, avoiding the mass movement and rousing the individual lions. And how fulfilling it is, how well it works. He says, people bemoan why millions are not taking to the streets in America, like they're in France or Germany. Some even claim that to be a sign that there is no resistance in America. But he says they fundamentally misunderstand America. When the average foot soldiers and loyalists of the political left become disenfranchised with the medical tyranny taking place, there will be mass demonstrations like that. That's a collectivist response. But that, that is not at the core of America. He says at the core of America is a small business, small church, family, small, direct, impactful charity, entrepreneurship, local community, bootstraps, small farm, maybe even just a few plants in the backyard, niche methods of news distribution like the one you're accessing right now, cottage industry, local relationships. He says every man is intended to be his own man, and the maker will one day look him in the eye and say, why should I let you into my heaven? And at that moment, there won't, just be an, there won't be an army of people around this man to back him up. It will be just him and God. That idea is not lost in America. This is not collectivist. It's the very opposite, and it's the backbone of America. Mark Twain wrote in chapter 22 of The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn as Colonel Sherburne shouts down a mob. Quote, You didn't want to come. The average man don't like trouble and danger. You don't like trouble and danger, but if only half a man like Buck Harkness there shouts, lynch him, lynch him, you're afraid to back down. Afraid you'll be found out to be what you are, cowards. And so you raise a yell and hang yourselves onto that half a man's coattail and come raging up here, swearing what big things you're going to do. The pitiless thing out there is a mob. That's what an army is, a mob. They don't fight with courage that's born in them, but with courage that's borrowed from their mass and from their officers. But a mob without any man at the head of it is beneath pitifulness. Now, the thing for you to do is droop your tails and go home and crawl in a hole. If any real lynching's going to be done, it will be done in the dark, southern fashion. And when they come, they'll bring their masks and fetch a man along. Now, leave and take half your half a man with you, tossing his gun up across his left arm and cocking it when he says this. End quote. Now, Alan Stevo says, look, I don't use this to speak against an army. He uses this quote to speak in favor of the bravery it takes to stand up as an individual. The mass movement, the grand street protests, oh, they look amazing on film. And he says, I recognize there's value in that activity, but the true work is done in your own life as you. So, number one, encounter resistance to your freedoms. Number two, as you say to yourself, this isn't right. And number three is you figure out how to communicate successfully to the outside world that you need to do something different. See, we're almost trained like by Hollywood in such moments to yell silly things like, I'll sue you or I'll, you'll never work again in this town. We're trained to escalate to a manager immediately or to send a complaint letter or to start threateningly video recording on our phones. 
All of those things can be useful at the right moment, and at other times, probably most times, such drama is out of place. It's unnecessary and often distracting from any immediate resolution. The calm conversation, the negotiation of the situation, the ability to get another to honor your request is so important. So much of society is built upon that calm conversation. Alan Stevo says, Many things have come at you this past year. For some, it's been more adversity than they've ever known. Such evil brought against their household unlike anything they'd ever imagined. A greater attack on their values than they have ever seen. But he says, you can handle this. And once you do, you can handle more. This is a very special time to be alive. And he says, our daily lives are preparation for even more. Those who have never worn a mask are pretty much unfazed by anything happening. That's because they've been in training for 18 months already. They've grown into such formidable warriors. Every conversation they needed to have about health mandates was perfected in their technique conversation, in their technique rather, more than a year ago, as they stumbled through the mask face conversation after mask face conversation, finally developing the right rhythm and techniques that work best for them. Now, in sharp contrast, those who wore a mask obediently but drew a line at the COVID shot, well, they're just putting on the training wheels and all at once they're really freaking out about the mandates that have been in the public, in the works publicly, rather, for about 18 months. They were not ready. But the good news is that the lions among them will persevere and be ready for far worse. So if you can embrace these moments for the opportunities they are, opportunities to rise to the occasion, then you will find yourself doing exactly that. Alan Stevo says it's a game, and we're winning. It's a game, and I see all around me the most amazing warriors prepping for battle, a mass of lions like I never knew existed on earth. And how could I? Because nearly all of them were asleep up until the Ides of March 2020. The enemy has no idea what he is up against. And Alan Stevo says, It is a joy to count myself among this immense pride. Now, if that sounds like just so much rah, rah, hey, we're going to fight this out in uh, glory days coming up, I would encourage you to consider, first of all, the guy who's writing this is still very much a work in progress. Alan Stevo has been learning these techniques, applying them, fine-tuning them, adjusting them as he's had to. But what makes his counsel something that you can hang your hat on is that at least he has been acting. He has been actively pursuing how to best go about asserting your freedom in a world that's turning, you know, startlingly, startlingly unfree. I like how he points out, you know, the people who recognize this early on, they aren't getting upset. They're not stressing. This doesn't phase them at all. It's because they've already made their mind up. They're not going to be taking orders from somebody who has no legitimate authority to be telling them what to do with their life, with their body, with their decisions about their health. It's not being stubborn, although often the media and politicians will portray it as such. You're so selfish, you're so stubborn, so self-centered. This is all about you, you, you. I think it's more about knowing what the value of freedom is. Knowing when it's appropriate to assert your rights. If you remember nothing else, just know, you will have exactly as many rights as you are willing to claim, use, 
and defend. Now, somewhere in that claim, use, and defend, I assume there, there's some modicum of you know what your rights are. You've spent the time reading, learning, researching, thinking, praying what those things are. And once you're pretty firm on that, once you have a good idea of who you are and what you stand for, you know, it's not a matter of, yes, I've got to go out and violently confront the world now to establish my point of view. Nope. All you have to do is just remain firm in your resolve not to have things imposed on you violently or otherwise. And the ripples you send out by doing so, they will impact the people around you. That's why your example is so needed. I'm Brian Hyde, sitting in for Tim Alders. This is the Disciples of Liberty on the America Out Loud Network. You know, Healthy Cell is a terrific lineup of products. They have products that are pill-free, gel-packed vitamins. Uh, Looking for better sleep, focus, and energy? Check out Healthy Cell, the leading innovator in nutritional supplements for cell health. Healthy Cell has a product that helps REM sleep, helps you fall asleep, stay asleep, sleep deeply, and wake up refreshed with Healthy Cell's REM sleep supplement. The only sleep supplement that's designed to support all stages of sleep. And boy, is it needed now during all the stress of the COVID-19 pandemic. So go to HealthyCell.com and use the code OUTLOUD, all capital letters, OUTLOUD, for a 20% off your first order of any product from Healthy Cell. I use them every day. I believe in them, and you should too. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. Trouble getting to sleep and staying asleep can be infuriating. Your mind races. You toss and turn, and the harder you try, the harder it is to drift off. And today's digital age makes it even harder. You're not alone with this struggle. Poor sleep affects over 70% of Americans. Even the Centers for Disease Control label insufficient sleep a public health epidemic. To take back your sleep, Healthy Cell has created REM Sleep, the only sleep supplement made to support all four stages of human sleep with calming herbs, amino acids, and sleep hormone support delivered in a patent-pending, pill-free, ultra-absorption microgel formula that tastes great. Fall asleep, stay asleep, sleep deeply, and wake up refreshed with Healthy Cell's REM sleep. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order. That's HealthyCell.com, H-E-A-L-T-H-Y-C-E-L-L, and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off. There was a time when Americans could rely on the Fourth Estate. Well, in these challenging times, the media is both reckless and complicit. AmericaOutloud.com. Top analysis from leading experts, articles, podcasts, video, and 24-7 talk radio. America Out Loud Talk Radio. Liberty and justice for all. Welcome back to the uh, Disciples of Liberty show. My name is Brian Hyde. I'm filling in for Tim Alders. 
here on the America Out Loud Network. I'm so grateful that you are tuned in. I know there are so many voices out there, so many messages, all competing for your allegiance or at least for your attention as you're sorting out, what do I believe? What what would I give my allegiance to? So I appreciate you giving this one a shot, and I'm going to do my best to make it worthwhile through this segment. I've got a couple of things to share with you. I have uh, I have felt the weight of the different mandates that have been handed down and, and thought, you know, we were so close. I felt like as things were starting to return to normal, we came so close to where society would just say, this is the better way we can still, you know, mitigate uh, whatever risks in our life are posed by this coronavirus, but we're not going back to lockdowns. And there was a brief, beautiful moment where it looked like that mindset would, would, would hold. And then I don't know what happened. I don't know if it was just, you know, political leaders, you know, retreating to the safety of, oh, I don't know what to do. I'll, I'll run back and, and cave or if that was what they planned on all along. But for many members of the public, you know, there, there was a moment where they could have pushed back, put their foot down and said no. And a lot of them have refused to do so. That's sad. Now, having said that, I also believe that there are a lot of people who quietly have gained, you know, their their backbone to where they are not going to be pushed around. They're not going to obey. I don't know if this statistic is true. This was a tweet that I saw a few days ago indicated that in New York City, it was a fairly high percentage. I mean, I, I want to say it was it was double digits, maybe 30% or more. It may have been much higher than that of New York City eateries. In other words, uh, restaurants were not rigorously enforcing the vaccination passport requirements. Now, clearly some were, and these are some of the videos you'll see popping up. Oh, they, they forced it and they turned this family away because they didn't have their vaccine cards. But it, it makes me happy to know that there are cracks in, in the facade of look how unified all these business owners are. Look how compliant they are. Good citizens, good citizens, stay, stay. Maybe they'll throw us a bone later. I'm happy to see that spirit of defiance. And, and it's not just for the sake of, yeah, you know, <laughs> to raise the Gadsden flag and don't tread on me. There's a time and a place for that. But mostly I like to see people finally realizing, I really don't have to do what you're telling me. And in fact, it's not in my best interest to do so. So they just peacefully sidestep the, uh, the, uh, the requirement, the demand, the mandate, and go on with life. I think that's probably the best repudiation of unjust laws or unjust policies. You just don't do them. You don't have to draw attention to yourself. You don't have to make your life a one-man protest. Look at me! I'm, I'm disobeying. You just ignore them. But the people who are willing to do so, I can guarantee you this, they are people who at some level have chosen to become informed. And are not willing to just sit back and wait to be told, okay, it's now okay for you to do this, but only with your left hand and never with your right. Anyway, so here's something a little bit on the brighter side. And I admire the ones who have the ability to to see the silver linings where others cannot. Pick this one up off of Facebook. It asks, what if not having a vaccine passport meant that you could no longer go to a restaurant and were instead forced to have picnics and dinner parties? What if not having a vaccine passport meant that instead of supporting huge supermarket chains where 80% of the food is rubbish, you instead had to turn to your local farmers and green grocers? 
What if not being allowed to fly meant in, that instead you had to explore your own beautiful state or road trip through the countryside, bringing business back to small towns along the way? What if losing your job working for a company meant that instead you got to start building your passion and vision and start your own business and got to keep the income generated for yourself? Yes, a minus, of course, Uncle, Ta- Uncle Sam's share, which he will take away in taxes. But again, it's a good point. What if instead of running straight to the doctor, you started looking into other healing modalities that focused on the cause instead of just the symptoms? What if instead of being stuck indoors training in a gym, you trained amongst nature and in the fresh air and sunshine? What if instead of living in fear, you lived in faith and started realizing that these could be silver linings and blessings in disguise? I know it's it's a Facebook post and people are thinking, really, we're going to solve the world's problems with a Facebook post? Okay, good luck with that. But I think it's what the mindset illustrates here. If you want to be a free individual, I don't care how hard the Emperor and Darth Vader clamp down. Remember the quote from Princess Leia? The tighter you clench your fist, the more systems slip through your fingers. And that's something that you can do. Circumvent the system. Simply acknowledge that no matter what, in all times and places, to the best of my ability, I am going to lead, I'm going to lead as free a life as possible. So much so, it's not that you're waving a flag again or drawing attention to yourself. You have simply stopped asking permission or pretended that in order for you to move forward, you've got to have so-and-so's, you know, permission or otherwise a pat on the head or a permit from them to do so. Believe it or not, that's a pretty revolutionary way of looking at things. And there are those who would say that's, uh, that's quite a threat to the powers that be. Really? How? How would that be a threat? Because you're not under the control of those who know what's best. Ah, which brings us to the creed of the statist. Anything not under the control, the direct control of the state, is by definition out of control. I mean, this is one of the reasons why, if you want to be a free person, you have got to be a self-governing individual. Which means... It's not enough just to be free, but you've got to be a good person as well. You have to know right from wrong. You have to recognize that you are prone to wrong. What's the saying I see circulating around from Jordan B. Peterson that says, a harmless man is not a good man. He says a good man is a very, very dangerous man who chooses to be good. And I know for a lot of people that is an uncomfortable thing to consider. You know, we read about some atrocity, some guy shoots up a movie theater or otherwise, you know, goes off and harms innocent people. And we think to ourselves, well, that would never be me. I would never betray a friend. I would never betray a family member. I would never do this. But the truth of the matter is, the seeds of evil can be found in every single one of us. If we fail to regulate our hearts, if we fail to regulate our passions, absolutely, we can fall into that same you know, pattern and, and we can become, we can, we're, we're capable of doing evil things. I'm, I'm trying to think of as nice a way to say it, but as say it as look, but for the grace of God, there go I, you know, we, we all are capable of being much worse people than we are. But in order to be a good person, you actually have to have a choice. You have to choose consciously to be good when you had the opportunity and maybe even the desire not to be good. 
That's where self-governance comes into play. That's where a person takes responsibility for their life and for their decisions, owns up to their mistakes, and does their best to make them right. They don't need someone sitting on the outside, whipping them every so often. Now, now, step lively. You know, do what you're told. You can guess which kind of individual politicians like. They don't want people who understand that they are the ones calling, that the person himself is the one calling the shot. Not the politician, not the leader, not the authority. Brings us to the topic, are you ready and willing to be free again? I saw this published on the Brownstone Institute's website, brownstone.org. Stacy Rudin, I've never met Stacy, but I have read her writings for some time, and I think she has a marvelous take on just about everything. And this is no exception. Are you ready and willing to be free again? Nobody can answer that question for you. You have to answer that one alone. Stacy Rudin says, The modern West's sudden and near-universal acceptance of lockdowns, a novel concept of government-enforced house arrest, signifies a far-reaching and sinister shift away from bedrock democratic values. When fear was injected into the atmosphere by the media, the West was a sitting duck, ready to accept any lifeline offered by any politician, even the communist dictator, in a stunning reversal of our nation's founding principles. Give me liberty or give me death was the original rallying cry. Oppressed by British rule, Americans rebelled. They fought for independence, for the right to live their own lives in their own way. And this passion for liberty created the most successful republic in history, a nation to be proud of, a beacon of hope and prosperity for people of all nations. Well, today's Americans behave in a diametrically opposed manner, trusting the government with blind allegiance and giving it full and total control over their well-being. Even personal health decisions, like whether or not to receive a quickly developed vaccination, are entrusted to politicians to mandate. Any neighbor who disagrees is marginalized and rejected. She's an anti-vaxxer. She must be an ignorant Trump supporter. Now, Stacey Rudin says, You cannot betray the concept of give me liberty or give me death any further than by adopting the premise that no one can disagree with you and still be a reasonable person. She says, When you're on board with a plan that includes subverting your neighbor's autonomy and violating their bodies as you deem necessary to satisfy the people on TV, you've rejected the American experiment. You're a collectivist. And I wonder... Have you looked into how well collectivist systems have worked out for regular people lately? She says it's shocking how many people appear to want to live in a world where everyone thinks just like they do. The average person quickly distances himself even from political opponents, as if it would be desirable to just have one political party that everyone votes for. Yet in 2021, in affluent coastal communities, Republicans have to pretend to be Democrats and they actually do it. When even this commonplace difference of opinion cannot be accepted and dealt with, it's clear we've moved far away from prizing eccentricity, as John Stuart Mill did back in 1859 when liberty was cool. Mill said, The mere example of nonconformity, the mere refusal to bend the knee to custom, is itself a service. Precisely because the tyranny of opinion is such as to make eccentricity a reproach. It is desirable in order to break through that tyranny that people should be eccentric. 
eccentricity has always abounded, where and when the strength of character has abounded. And the amount of eccentricity in a society is, has generally been proportional to the amount of genius, mental vigor, and moral courage which it contained. That so few now dare to be eccentric marks the chief danger of the time. End quote. Stacy Rudin says this fear of eccentricity, which I'd argue is tantamount to freedom, was laid bare in March of 2020. Even when the deadly disease propaganda out of China was thickest, the average person really did not want to lock herself at home and pull her children out of school, let alone force people out of work. Yet it was only the very rare person who made this desire public. Everyone else pretended to agree. They decided to go along to get along. They put the stay home, save lives sticker on their Facebook profiles. They did drive-by birthday parades. My gosh. And now the failure of lockdowns is irrefutable. They refused to admit they were wrong. Afraid to face the damage they helped to cause. She says, to summarize, the appearance of universal agreement with lockdown was just that. An appearance. Agreement was depicted because most people do what's cool and because mass media is everywhere, and because social media astroturf propaganda efforts are very effective. A society that just wants to be cool is very easy to manipulate. The dissenters will betray themselves to stay cool. So just make something appear cool and the conformist will jump on board. To today's Americans, appearances are everything. We are afraid to be different, lest it make our friends uncomfortable. Maybe we will lose one. Whatever will we do? She says, we've ceased caring about truth and authenticity entirely. We have tacitly agreed, as a society, that true things should be hidden whenever they conflict with what's popular and what with everyone smart and cool is doing. Anyone acting outside of these boundaries, the eccentrics of centuries past, considered by Mill to be geniuses, well, those are today's untouchables. In a nation founded by rebels, she points out, somehow it's become cool to be a conformist. And Stacey Rudin says, thanks to lockdowns, we know that people want to stay cool more than they want their kids educated, more than they want to open their businesses, more than they want to breathe freely. They will even accept open-ended vaccine dosages for an illness that poses less risk to them than driving a car, anything to stay cool. Disagreeing with someone is too much for Americans today. Confrontation is so scary that we'd rather let society dictate who we are. That way, everyone else will feel comfortable. Lao Tzu said, Care what other people think of you, and you will always be their prisoner. He was right, by the way. And so Stacy Rudin says, This is how the West sacrificed freedom before lockdowns were ever imposed. We care far too much what other people think of us. We fear freedom. Freedom is truth and authenticity and acting in your own interest as your own person, even when, especially when, it makes other people uncomfortable. Why would you want a bunch of fake friends who only like the image you're projecting? They will leave you the second your social power is tarnished. And if you've never burned a bridge in your life, these are the people you're surrounded by, guaranteed. Speaking the truth, even when it burns bridges will dissatisfy just the people you want to be rid of, the people who want you in a box, who resent having to follow onerous rules themselves and mean to force you to do the same. The only power they have is the power to reject you. Once you don't care about that, you're free. 
You say the truth, accept the results, walk away from the wrong people, and end up with the right ones. Oh my goodness, does this make sense? Does this not make so much sense? Stacy Rudin says, trade truth for popularity by contrast, and you kill yourself, in a sense. All that's left of you is what society finds acceptable, which isn't you at all. It's completely external to you and has nothing to do with you. By conforming, you betray yourself by accepting the premise that there's something wrong with the real you. Maybe you're so bent on being perfect, as defined by others, that you don't even know what you is. That you would make the perfect cog, that would make you the perfect cog in the machine. But as for your personal well-being, there's nothing worse. You will suffer. And she backs this up with a quote from Montaigne. We defraud ourselves out of what is actually useful to us in order to make appearances conform to common opinion. We care less about the real truth of our inner selves than how we are known to the public. Not bad for a guy writing back in the 15th century, right? The mind-bending part of conformist behavior, though, is this. We all know the truth. We know we aren't just saying it or doing it. There are dozens, hundreds of people who email Stacy Rudin constantly, thanking her for opposing lockdowns and for standing up for medical choice and privacy. But she says, why aren't they doing this themselves? If they admire it so much and they know it needs to be done. If everyone did it, there could be no repercussions for any of us. But it isn't happening. Because we're scared of the truth, scared of telling the truth, which means we fear freedom. Yeah, far too many of us fear freedom. Stacy Rudin says, We fear freedom and authentic humanity so much that we pretend people are robots. One glimpse of human frailty and a person can be blacklisted without a trial. Humanity is barbaric at present, demanding a certain perfect image and absolute cooperation with majority rule or social death. It isn't hard to understand why people eventually crack in such a system or develop severe anxiety disorders. She says, consider one of her favorite passages from literature from modern philosopher Karl Ove Nosgaard, discussing how he was banished by his family for simply telling the truth in his epic autobiographical novel. Quote, the social dimension is what keeps us in our places, which makes it possible for us to live together. The individual dimension is what ensures that we don't merge into each other. The social dimension is based on taking one, taking one another into consideration. We also do this by hiding our feelings, not saying what we think, if we think we if what we feel or think affects others. The social dimension is also based on showing some things and hiding others. What should be shown and what should be hidden are not subject to disagreement. The regulatory mechanism is shame. One of the questions this book raised for me when I was writing it was what was there to gain by contravening social norms? by describing what no one wants to be described, in other words, the secret and the hidden. Let me put it another way. What value is there in not taking others into account? The social dimension is the world as it should be. Everything that is not as it should be is hidden. He says, my father drank himself to death. That's not how it should be. That has to be hidden. But my heart yearned for, an my heart yearned for another woman. That's not how it should be. It must be hidden. But he was my father, and it was my heart. End quote. He was my father, 
and it was my heart. What is there to gain by calling Nosgard a freak and rejecting him when we know these things happen all the time? Speaking of alcoholism and infidelity. Shouldn't we revere him for his brave example, for his confidence? Stacy Rudin says, I find his display of human vulnerability incredibly attractive. Perhaps because I see so little of it in my daily life. I'm tired of the display of perfect people with perfect lives and perfectly scheduled perfect kids on the path to Harvard. I want the mess, and I want to show my mess and still be loved and accepted. Nosgard, she says, I guess is the rare modern eccentric. He puts it all out there. Here he is again discussing the purpose of publishing a novel so true that he lost family members over it. Quote, I was there, turning 40. I had a beautiful wife, three beautiful kids. I loved them all, but still I wasn't truly happy. It's not necessarily the curse of the writer, this, but maybe it's the curse of the writer to be aware of it, to ask, why is all this, all I've got, not enough? That's really what I'm searching for in this whole thing, is an answer to that question. End quote. Stacy Rudin says, well, maybe that's the heart, the heart of it all, even the heart of the current crisis. She says, we are all so empty despite having it all because it all has been defined by something other than us. Hollywood, the media, popular politicians, they are telling us what to be and we've listened and we are miserable. We're lying, pretending, putting on a show, hiding our pain with drugs, drink, porn, overspending, things that they sell us. And the end result of this entire exercise in anti-self-development is lockdowns and forced perpetual vaccinations. A segregated society with everyone suspicious of everyone else. And technological apartheid on the horizon. Slavery. If we had all defined ourselves instead of turning into a mass with one hive mind, afraid of any differences of freedom, would we be here? She says, I don't think so. We'd be healthy happy, and free. And then she shares a quote from Carl Jung. To be satiated with the necessities of external success is no doubt an inestimable source of happiness. Yet the inner man continues to raise his claim, and this can be satisfied by no outward possessions. And the less this voice is heard in the chase after the brilliant things of this world, the more the inner man becomes a source of inexplicable misfortune, and uncomprehended unhappiness. Stacy Rudin says, We've elected, we've neglected rather, individuality in pursuit of perfect conformity. And as a result, we've become a miserable society filled with miserable people who will never feel safe enough. There's no boundary they will not cross in pursuit of perfect compliance with the rules, doing anything and everything that's needed to be cool today as defined by the Today Show. Come to our all-vaccinated wedding. I won't play tennis with the unvaccinated, regardless of the fact that I took my own vaccine and stand 40 feet away. This is what we've become. She says we must simply revisit truth and authenticity sometime very soon. We urgently need to find what's real in all of this fake and that can't be done without individual human voices. If you care about liberty, you must do this one scary thing. Embrace it. Be free. But to be free, you have to be inconsiderate. Yes, she says, inconsiderate to others, but considerate to yourself. Speak now or forever hold your peace.
Wow. I mean, that is, that's some pretty serious food for thought there. It makes me think of a couple of other things that I've seen in just the last couple of days. I want to see if I can share one or two of these with you. Um, Here it is. Stop your gaslighting games. Compliance does not equal care. Now, I only bring this up because I've been on the receiving end of some pretty, you know, pretty good persuasion by people who are like, Brian, why don't you care enough? Why aren't you towing the line? Why aren't you wearing a mask and getting the vaccine and urging others to do the same? Don't you care about the people around you? The person who posted this is Christian Mack. I'm looking to see if there's anybody. Yeah, um, I don't know. I don't know the individual who wrote this. And I don't think Christian Mack was the person who, who wrote it. But it says, my love for humanity, for elders, for children, is not measured by the enthusiasm with which I submit my body to a medical experiment. Loving you doesn't mean that I'm responsible for your health, your feelings, your fear, your decisions, your life. Loving you doesn't mean that I owe you anything, especially not the violation of my one body, my self-respect, my truth. Lying to myself or to you is not love. Walking on eggshells around you to avoid offending or triggering or hurting you is not love. Carefully erecting scaffolding around your trauma or volunteering to become the scaffolding myself is not love. Accepting your invitations to feel fear or anxiety or overwhelm is not love. Playing along with your stories of brokenness, praising and affirming them, acting out my role in the narrative again and again is not love. Always agreeing with you is not love. Love is truth. Love is asking hard questions. Love is an unwavering belief in your potential. Love is knowing that your trauma defines nothing about what is possible for you in this life. Love is seeing your power even when you can't. Love means being able to say no, so that when you say yes, it actually means something. Love is choosing honesty over comfort. Love is showing you that the chains that you've been clinging to aren't actually there. Love is so many things, but it is definitely not found in the sadistic, sadistic slogans of the government of, or big pharma or virtue signaling waxers. I love deeply. Myself, you, children, my grandmothers, earth, life. This is, why, this is exactly why I stand so firmly in my no. The intensity of my descent is not made up of a deficiency of love or care or kindness or thoughtfulness, quite the opposite. Do not try and gaslight me to think otherwise. Repeat all the mantras you want. It won't work. Now, I understand. That's a little little poetic. You know, all of us big, hairy, tattooed guys, you're like, all right, a little uncomfortable here, but what a, what a, an eloquent way to refute this claim that, well, you don't love other people if you don't do what I tell you to do. I'm sorry, but that's exactly the kind of thing a sociopath would say. Because sociopathic thinking tends to regard other people as either an asset, something that can be exploited, or an impediment, something that needs to be moved out of the way because it's stopping me from getting what I want. You know, where do you think a person is coming from when they weigh in on social media? They hear, oh, so-and-so has been diagnosed with COVID. And they know this person was very pro, 
personal choice when it came to getting the vaccine or not. Not necessarily and excuse me, anti-vaccine, but very pro-informed consent. So they hear that that person has become infected. Oh, good. I hope they die. I hope they die gurgling on a ventilator. And you think to yourself, that's that's supposed to be the person who is standing on the moral high ground, who's literally typing out those words or saying those words to other people. I mean, they're, they're, it's hard to quantify how desperate and how sickly that sounds. How small a person's soul would have to be to embrace that kind of thinking. I don't want to get too carried away, so let's stand around and let's condemn them. I think the bigger message here is don't treat other people that way. It's not so much a matter of, well, you got to control them. you got to show them, you know, who's boss. you got to be the one making the shots, telling them what to do. No. It's about controlling yourself. It's about living up to your freedom because you embrace it, even though sometimes it's ugly. Sometimes there are risks. Sometimes people's feelings get hurt because you think differently. That's just the way it is. But it's worth it. It's absolutely worth it. I'm Brian Hyde sitting in for Tim Alders. This is the Disciples of Liberty on the America Out Loud Network.